So our theme verse for quite some time has been Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be ah, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Johnny, I know what you mean. (laughs) Oh, Johnny's not... uh, It's a little harder to do it when you're facing everybody. Uh, But so that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, for we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. So my question to you, without raising any hands or, you know, no judgment. Have you encouraged anybody this week? Did you encourage anybody this week? Not necessarily when we're here together. Now, that's important. He's going to say that a little later, that it's very important. But when we haven't been here together, have you taken an opportunity to encourage a brother or sister in Christ? He was saying this to a church, to a group of people who, as we've talked before, many of them are on the verge of giving up. We've got people in here this morning, probably, in a group this size, who are on the verge of giving up. And so we need to encourage each other. We need to strengthen one another and remind each other why being a Christian is so superior and greater than anything else out there. And that's what the writer has been doing. And so this this morning, as we get into our lesson, I have to first go back to something that happened last week. Those of you that were here last week, and maybe you weren't, but you saw it on Facebook, there was this little situation with me and my daughter when we were down in Brazil. About the fact that she posted that I had admitted from the pulpit that she was right about something and I was wrong about something. And that is actually quite true. But I've got ammunition this morning. Now, I don't want you to think that all Michelle and I did the whole time we were in Brazil was argue. But every now and then, you know, it would come up. I would say the word mature. And it would drive her nuts. She said, that's not how you pronounce that word. Everybody else in the whole wide world says mature. I said, no, it's properly pronounced mature. No, it's mature. So she gets on her phone. And she finds somewhere on the internet. Some site. That had the official pronunciation for that word as mature. Now, see, that's why I don't like the Internet. (laughs) I have no idea what website that was. This is the official Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Paper and ink. M-A-T-U-R-E, mature. Back in the driver's seat. You know, as parents, when our children are born, we, we pray for them. Before they're born, we pray for them. And you know, I have found in, in, in my life and with my children and even grandchildren that, you know, our prayers start off kind of small. Five fingers and five toes. You know, healthy. And then after they're born, you know, that they would mature. Physically, they begin to walk, they begin to talk, 
They begin to do these types of things. And then socially, that they would make friends, that, you know, people would like them, that they wouldn't be mean. They wouldn't get kicked out of, you know, preschool. And then as they get older, you know, about that they would have success in school and then who they're going to marry and all these different things. And, and over all of that is the idea of having a faith, having a faith in God. And, you know, our society has become very, very uh, concerned about or aware about maturing physically. You know, you take kids now, they have all these different checkups. And they take them in at their three-month checkup and their six-month checkup and their nine-month checkup and their year checkup. And the, the doctor does all these different things and weighs them and all the, and they say, well, you know, I remember, I think it was Brittany maybe came with, with Paige and said, you know, she's in the, the eight percentile. I don't know what that means. Is that good or bad? Does that mean she's, you know, Better than 92% or worse than 92%? I don't, I don't, I don't understand what that means. Back in my day, the baby, the doctor looked at the baby and said, he's healthy. You know, that's the way it worked. But when as parents, we begin to notice, something's not quite right. Something's a little off. And we get concerned. And we realize that there's a problem. We see all of us, at one time, were babes in Christ. All of us were children in our Christianity. But we were not expected to stay that way. We were expected to grow and to mature as Christians. And our writer comes along in the middle of a section where he'd been talking about the high priesthood of Jesus. Remember last week, we were at the end of chapter, or not quite the end of chapter 4, where we talked about the word of God being alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And we talked about the word of God and the power of the word of God. Well, then he goes on and he talks. We already talked about this when we were in chapter 2, about how that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our needs because he's gone through everything we have gone. And he goes on through and talks about how that the priesthood of Jesus is greater than the priesthood of Aaron that we find in the Old Testament. And so he's in the middle of that discussion and it's almost as if he says, oh, by the way, going, going back, can you imagine a preacher doing that? Stopping and saying, oh, let's go back. Forgot something. Now, I don't know if that's what's going on here, but it's almost as if he goes back. You remember what we were talking about when we were talking about the word of God? Our relationship to the word of God is a significant mark of our maturity in Christ. And he takes a moment here and scolds them. Now, I'm not here to scold you today. But I am here to discuss what he discussed so that we can realistically and honestly, each one of us, look at our lives and our relationship to God's word and see if we are in fact maturing. Because we all kind of understand that the point at which we quit maturing, we start dying. And we don't ever want to reach that point spiritually. And so look at what he says in chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. 
He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you indeed need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So he's talking about our, our relationship to the word. And certain marks of our relationship to the word that show a sign of immaturity. And the first one is a dullness towards the word. Now, I thought it was interesting. I'm using the NIV. How many, how many else are using the NIV? How many else of you who are using the NIV had something different when I read it? Yeah, I thought that was rather odd. I went to get, I was going to, you know, go online and get verses 11 through 14 and, and put it up there like, like I had a minute ago. And I wanted it in the NIV. And so I Googled it on the internet and I got it. And lo and behold, it didn't read like my NIV read. What? It said, I believe, in verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain it to you because you no longer try to understand. How many of you have that? You see, even within the different translations, there's different editions of that translation. That's a newer edition than the one that I have. Charlie, what's the King James say? You are... Dull of hearing. I like that. I like that. You are dull of hearing. You are slow to learn. You no longer try and understand. Three different ways to say the same thing. We go back all the way to chapter 2. And remember that, that the writer talked about drifting from the word. And then in chapter 3 he talked about doubting the word. And now it kind of talks about being dull to the word. It's an I don't care kind of attitude. In 6 and verse 12, he cautions them about being lazy towards the word. We all, we can become dull to the word when we don't read it or care about what it says. When we have a ho-hum attitude towards Bible study or about God's word. When we can hear it. But it makes absolutely no effect. It has no effect on us. We don't even, we don't, we, we, we don't even acknowledge what it's saying. How many of you, you know, are like that, you know, with the television? You've got it on. It's in there. It's in the background. It's gone. But you're not even paying attention to what it says. Some of you may be like that with music in the car. I'm not like that with music in the car because I don't listen to music in the car. But, you know, you get the... Some of you, it may be like that with your spouse. They're talking, but you ain't listening. Guys, we get good at that, don't we? we, we and, but, but, but our wives have figured out that we're good at that. We know to make sure we heard the last couple words of the sentence. 
So when she said, you're not even listening to me. Yes, I am. You're talking about the last two words of the sentence. But then they learn and they say, well, what did I say about that? Uh Uh-oh. Missed that part. In sports, every now and then, a team that may be doing well or has done well in the past and has a good coach and then all of a sudden starts not doing so well, there'll be all these calls to change coaches. And sometimes I will hear, I'll say, because he's lost the ear of the locker room. He, they don't, they don't, the, the players don't hear him like they once heard him. You know, it's old news to them. So we need somebody in fresh, a fresh voice. You know, I got to be honest with you. I worry about that a little bit in my position. I worry about the idea that you've heard the voice over and over and over and over again. And you may be dull of hearing. But what I want to challenge you to do is not worry about my voice, but make sure you're concerned with the voice of God. We never want to become to the point in our relationship with the word where it does not excite us. Where we do not appreciate it. Where it's just the same thing over and over again. We don't ever want to get to the point where we say that our Bible classes are boring. The sermons are boring. Anything spiritual is boring. I've always said this and I don't think I'm such a great person. But if I sat in a Bible class with the absolute worst Bible teacher ever. I've always been able to get something out of it. Always been able to get something out of it. And in our Bible classes and in the sermons. It's not so much about who is presenting it, but what am I doing with it? Am I applying it to my life? Am I listening to it? Am I taking it and using it in a way that is going to be effective for me? When we see this attitude on our lives towards the word of God, we can be sure that we are beginning to regress spiritually. A second mark of immaturity concerning the word of God is an inability to share with others. He says in chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You, in fact, need somebody else to share with you again. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, Mr. Writer of Hebrews. I got a bone to pick with you. Very clearly. Paul states in other places that not everybody has the same gift. In fact, James says very clearly, not all of you should be teachers. And over in Ephesians, Paul says, some of you are gifted with this, this, teaching being one of them. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about how that all the parts of the body are different. And you may say to yourself, see? Writer of Hebrews was wrong. Because Paul said not all of you should be teachers. Can they both be right? I think they're both right. Obviously they can both be right. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Paul I think is talking about in a very specific sense of a teacher. Somebody who would stand before a group and teach in a public setting. 
And not everybody's called to do that. Not everybody can do that. My wife, for example, she's not here. She'd probably kill me if I said, stop the recording. Just kidding. Not really. My wife is not going to get up in front of a group and teach. She's not going to do that. A group of adults. She's not going to do that. Scares her to death. She doesn't. But she is one of the greatest Bible class teachers for children I have ever seen. She puts her heart and soul into it. I don't think anybody ought to make her feel bad because she doesn't do this. But she does this. And you may be sitting there saying, well, I'm not either one. You know, I can't get up in front of people and teach that. And our, you know, little children and even in a Bible class scares me to death. That's fine. It doesn't have to be in an official formal setting. But God has called all of us to just be able to share with our friends and our family and our neighbors the hope that we have. Peter said we need to be ready to always give a reason for the answer, the hope that was in us, that is in us. To anybody who asks us a question, you don't have to have a long theological thesis on, on, you know, salvation or the deity or the trinity or the, or the, the, the incarnation or angels or demons or, or revelation or any, you know, you don't have to do that. You tell your friends and neighbors and family why you're a Christian. What's God done for you? Parents, teach your children. It may not necessarily be in a classroom setting or or even even in a formal sit-down setting in the family. But I love what it says in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to paraphrase. When you're out fishing, teach them about God. When you're out pulling them in the wagon, teach them about God. When you're riding to the grocery store, teach them about, teach them, teach them about God. Wherever you are. I know in education there's this thing they call the teachable moment. And what Deuteronomy seems to say for parents is every moment is a teachable moment. Teach your children about God. If we're not able to share with others the very basics of why we're a Christian and why we have hope, then that shows a sign that we are not maturing in our relationship with the Word as we ought to. Thirdly, a third sign that we're not maturing with the Word is that we still have a baby food diet. Now, everybody understands That is ridiculous to give an infant solid food, right? We understand that. Little baby's born. We give him a T-bone and a baked potato. And then it's like, why can't you eat that? We don't, we, we get that. The writer here is not saying that there's not a time and a place for baby food. He's not saying that there's not a time and a place for milk for infants. 
But he says that if we are maturing, we move along. You know, we got now those those graduated foods, right? The little baby foods, you know, that, that, that you know, uh, it's all chopped. You know, that's the that's the first thing we kind of give them a little bit after after, you know, the milk phase. And then we have some that has a little more stuff in it, you know, and then, it you know, a little thicker, you know, and eventually they can eat the ribeye or the T-bone. And we, we kind of move them along. The same ought to be true with us spiritually and in connection with God's word. He says, by now, you ought to be teachers. And we got to go back and give you the elementary fundamental things over and over and over again. You, You should be way off milk by now. But you're not. We understand that, you know, in education. If I am a, if I'm an algebra teacher, I'm an algebra one teacher. And I get a whole crop of students who cannot multiply two numbers together. I can't start teaching them algebra. I got to go back and work on multiplication tables. We can't get to this because we're going back. And he's saying that's part of the problem. We can't move on to other things because we've got to go back to the other. Now, let me ask you this. Are multiplication tables important? Yeah. Hey, did the lights flicker? Well, the exit light came on back there, so I don't know. All right. Anyway. Who knows? Where were we? We're on math, something. Okay, yeah. Multiplication tables are important. But... We hope to move on beyond that. Are the very basics of our Christianity, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the fact that He died for our sins, are those things important? Absolutely. They're the foundation of our faith. But we've got to move beyond that as well. We build on that as we build on the multiplication tables. The milk is the fundamentals about Jesus and the facts about our salvation. What is the more solid food? Moving beyond those to application in our lives. It's always good to review the fundamentals, but we can't stay there. That's what makes it challenging sometimes in preaching and teaching. Because we have so many different levels represented in our church family. We have some in here who are babes in Christ, very new, who did not grow up in the church, who did not grow up religiously, who did not grow up reading the Bible. And this is all, every bit of it, brand new to them. And then there's others of you who since you were in cradle roll dangling your feet out of the bottom of the desk have been coming to church, have been taught about God. Your parents raised you that way. You married somebody who believed that way. You raised your children that way. Your grandchildren that way. You've known all your lives these fundamentals. And you know, that makes it kind of a challenge to stand up here. How do you reach those who are babes in Christ? And still reach those who know way more than I do. About the Bible. You know, I've often thought that one of the hardest places to be a preacher would be in a college, a Christian college town. 
like Searcy, Arkansas or Edmond, Oklahoma or even Abilene or whatever, where in the same church you have the college kids who are there. And then you have the Bible professors in the same congregation. What a challenge that would be. That's not much different than the challenge here. But we need to be moving beyond that. And fourthly, real quickly, a mark of immaturity as far as the word goes, is being unskillful in using God's word. A mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to take the word and apply it to our daily lives. It's not knowing, it's not just knowing that Jesus said, love your enemies. It's then applying that to my life when I have an enemy. It's not enough to know Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's great to know that. But can you apply it to your everyday life? Do you treat people like that? Do you put others' needs first? See, that's what we've talked about before when it, when it comes to math. You know, back in my day and you older people's days, that, that's me. I'm putting my, you know. All of our math problems were, for the most part, simply numbers, equations. Figure out this, three times seven, four times nine, two X plus seven Y equals, you know, whatever. You know, when they started introducing the alphabet in math, it was time to quit. But anyway, and so, you know, you have all of this. And then every now and then there'd be the the dreaded at the bottom word problems. Hated them. Hated the word problems. I don't want to do the word problems. Now, it's all word problems. Why? Because... When do you ever really just need to know three times seven? Just to know three times seven. You don't. You need to know that if I'm buying, you know, three pounds of whatever and they're seven dollars a pound, then it's going to be twenty one dollars. Did I do that right? The same is true in reading God's word. Remember, James said, The person who listens to or reads the word of God and then doesn't do what it says is like the man who looks in the mirror and turns away and forget what he looked like. If we don't apply the word to our lives, then it's not beneficial to us. We can't skillfully use it. And I love what he says here. Towards the end, when he says, verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. How do you determine what's right and wrong? What the world tells us is right and wrong? That's a little scary. What Congress decides by law is right or wrong. Here's the scarier one. What I feel in my heart is right or wrong. None of those are correct. 
I mentioned before, you see this bumper sticker said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. One third of that phrase is unnecessary. God said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not. Whether I believe it or not, it doesn't matter. God said it, that settles it. How many times in the Bible have we seen people who felt in their heart, who were deeply convicted that they were doing the right thing and were so wrong? Saul of Tarsus believed he was doing the right thing when he persecuted the church. He was wrong. King Saul was compelled in his heart to offer the sacrifice without the prophet being there, the priest being there. And he was wrong. Determine right from wrong by knowing, studying God's word, by training our hearts, by training our consciences with God's word. Then we'll be able to know what's right and what's wrong. Not just the feeling, not what anybody else says, not what the world says. So this morning we want to look at our own lives. We want to examine ourselves and we want to ask ourselves, where am I in relationship to God's word? I hope that we're not dull to it. That we just don't listen anymore. I hope that we've gotten to a point where we can share at least part of God's word with other people, whether in a formal or informal setting. I hope that we are moving on from the baby food diet, from milk. Now, some of you, some of us in here, some in here are still babies and still need that milk and that's fine. But you ought to aspire to get off that. And if you've been a Christian a long time and you're still, still on the milk, we need to work on that. And then we want to make sure that we know how to use God's word correctly in our lives. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.